0: Hello, I'm Kerry Eustace and you're listening to a slightly different Careers Talk. Most weeks we give out advice on how to find a job and build a career. Today we'll be looking at how to make the jobs find you. Yes, this week's show is all about reverse job seeking, headhunting and why in today's market the key to success is all about making yourself visible to employers. We ask former headhunter turned recruitment consultancy director Alex Strang how and why graduates get headhunted and also how to boost your chances of being talent scouted by a top employer. Plus, Julian Linley has advice on what to do if you find yourself overqualified for junior roles, but underqualified for anything else, and we reveal how to get a job at Deloitte. But first, we have the hottest careers headlines of the week in our news roundup. Harriet Minter and Ali White are here with me now to talk about John Lewis, Tesco and the interview cactus. (laughs) Hello, (laughs) Ben. Hello. Um,
1: Harriet, are you going to start us off with your story? Yes, I'm going to start. I've got John Lewis this week and they have announced that they are doubling their graduate recruitment scheme last year because um, it's so popular and they have so many applications for it, so they are increasing the number of places. So, there are now going to be 32 places next year. However, there are going to be 8,000 candidates. That's what they're predicting. Wow. Wow. (laughs) 8,000 (laughs) candidates for 32 places. So, that's quite a lot. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, 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 you know. Um, But I did have a kind of look at the job description to see if there are any things that I could pick out that might make you stand out or that might be helpful. Um, And also had a look back at kind of some past advice John Lewis had given us and things like that. And some points I picked up on are the fact that um, John Lewis has this very touchy-feely image to it, but ultimately it is a business and they want people who are commercially minded. So if you can think of ways that you can grow the business, think of new sectors that they could be expanding into, even if you just go into your local John Lewis store and think about what things you would change to make it better or more customer-friendly... That's instantly going to show that you're thinking along the lines that they are. Um, The other things I thought of were they're very family orientated, so they ask for, show um, definite work experience. I thought actually, if you can show not just what you've done, but maybe how you supported a team member, how you encouraged the growth of somebody who was working for you, something like that shows that you're kind of quite in touch with their values. Um, and the other thing, obviously, is to think about customer experience, customer service and customer experience, because that's their big thing they pride themselves on. Um, and look at, even if you've been a waitress, that's customer service. If you've been um, if you've worked in a call centre, that's great, because you've probably had to deal with some really difficult customers, and you'll be able to translate that into what they want. I, those are just things that stuck out to me that I thought might be helpful if you want to try and be one of those successful candidates out of the 8,000. Wow. Um, So from one major retailer to another, (laughs) um,
0: the government's announced it's going to cut 42,000 defence jobs. And as it does that, Tesco is highlighting itself as the go-to employer for ex-service personnel. Um, wouldn't have been my first, uh, <laughs> the first company that came to mind for those professionals, but apparently it's been doing a scheme for ex-service pe- personnel since 2007, and it takes the sort of the skills developed in the armed forces and applies those to the retail sector. Mm. So officers that perhaps have got maybe six months service left to go go into Tesco on a as a on work experience as a manager mm-hmm. to see if they like it. And um, then the project is run with the Career Transition Partnership who sort of support that individual with the transition from sort of service life to civilian life. And they're given a leadership role in Tesco's. Um, we did a and a on this, mm. didn't we, Ali, about sort of... Um, leaving the forces and what you can do i mean was this part of that
2: discussion <laughs> it didn't come up but we did have the ctp on the panel and um it was really interesting because uh, you know you've been in the armed forces for a really long time in some cases and it's all about highlighting that experience to the um sort of they call the civvy street um mm-hmm. the, the kind of civilian world in a way but it's some really interesting advice there has anyone
1: been watching The Apprentice? Because they've my favourite candidate on it is a guy called Christopher, and he's mm. ex-Marines, and he is brilliant because he's so efficient, he knows how to get things organised, and he knows how to motivate people. Those are obviously kind of key military skills yeah. that he's built up.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting that you said that, because I had two thoughts when I saw this story. Firstly, on a serious note, is that, you know, it's good to... See, I like to see that private sector businesses are kind of saying to the public sector, mm. you know, we're interested in you, come and bring your skills over here. And it would actually be good to see more initiatives or more sort of welcome announcements from the private sector on you know what they're looking for I think they kind of can I say they've got maybe a responsibility to sort of make aware what they want Mm. before
1: you know they get an influx of sort of public sector I think that's a really good point if if, if public sector workers know what they're looking for and where Mm. their skills are best suited It's going to save their
2: HR teams an awful lot of time. Well, I live in a military town in a way. There's lots of bases around where I live. And I was actually speaking to a couple of people, a married couple, and they're both in the Navy and working as engineers. And, you know, both have concerns about their jobs. And they're saying, well, we're a couple. We could both find ourselves looking for new work. But what really stuck out to me was how they were saying, well, oh, I don't know what skills, you know, they're looking for. But then they started reeling off all the things they'd done. I was like, you're probably the most employable person in this room, you know, in a crowded bar because... But they were just so concerned. And they said, I've done a job application. I haven't had an interview since I was 17. And I, I think there really needs to be some good information out there to making that transition. Well, I think the Courier Transition Partnership does quite a lot of mm. resettlement settlement work. But my second thought
0: was this. I just think, you know, with armed forces level leadership expertise, can you imagine what a hyper-efficient military operation Tesco, <laughs> your local Tesco, would <laughs> be <come laughs> <to. It's> amazing? <laughs> the freezer is down, go! <laughs> the speed, no, the speed be of nicer. the scanning.
2: <laughs> 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 oh, <laughs> Ali, your story? Well, this is for anyone that's ever had a bizarre question in an interview or, you know, if you get a bit apprehensive about what you're going to be asked, um, just spare a thought for the teenagers who might be handed a cactus and asked to describe it or ask whether someone who risks their life in an extreme sport is a hero or a fool. Yeah. <laughs> um, what it is, is Oxford University that has revealed these sort of interview questions that were actually faced by last year's um, crop of ap- applicants. And um, the university actually says it wants to demystify the interview process and give potential applicants an idea of what to expect really so it does sound quite terrifying but it is really interesting what they're actually looking for they're you know they're using these thought-provoking and open-ended questions design really to make it less easy to rehearse answers and you know they um they've explained how they actually want the applicants, you know, explain why, how they might have responded and emphasise that there might be many different answers to these like really open questions. But the thing they've said is they're not trick questions. So like, to give you an example, um, would be English students were asked, why do you think an English student might be interested in the fact that Coronation Street has been running for 50 years? is quite interesting, <laughs> <It> is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well you might have answered um well it's to give get students thinking about and ideas of storytelling depicting characters and keeping readers on the edge of their seats and how this can work across different types of media obviously <laughs> <laughs> psychology students were asked what is normal for humans so you can have a scratch head about that one <laughs> But it is interesting. I, I, I've I been reading about sort of these trick questions, but I, another article I read online said, employers aren't trying to catch you out. They're just trying to get you to think outside those kind of generic questions and, you know, to sort of go off, not off topic. What's the word? Kind of off the script, really, and see how you react. And then almost, in a way, how you handle stress. I see in the commercial world, anyway, that's why those questions are asked. But it's really interesting why Oxford are asking such questions.
1: What I think is really nice about it, actually, is that questions like that can show up really intelligent people mm. who maybe are just not great at exams or who are not good at kind of coming out with the set interview and remembering all the things they're supposed to have learnt, but do have really creative and interesting thoughts mm. i think that's i think it should be seen as a kind of a good thing rather than a scary thing
0: Now, time for a bit more advice from the forum. Ali
2: has some highlights from our live Q&A with Deloitte. Right. When applying for a graduate post at Deloitte, the subject you read at university generally does not actually impact on your application. The main areas they're looking for is that you can demonstrate the skills that, that you need to do the work, basically, and plus showing you have a real interest in the area you're applying to. So first up, you don't need to be a mathematician to work in tax or most areas of accounting. GCSE maths is more than enough for virtually every problem you'll come across so what it actually means is as long as you can demonstrate these skills you don't need to be this expert so right from the start you'll actually be sent on numerous courses which will provide you with the skills necessary to perform your role to the best of your abilities and there's also actually an opportunity to attain professional qualifications in TAX which will help you develop your technical knowledge. TAX was the main part of the q I must point out so if you want to find out about other roles it's well worth checking out their website um, and the One of our panelists did point out, you know, if you really want some tips and, you know, how to get this role, and you know, as any graduate job, the key is preparation. So one expert recommended researching Deloitte, know why you want to work for them, understand what they do as a business, you know, and importantly, know what the department you're interested in does. You know, really show that you know it inside out. So the first first round interview does involve demonstrating you have the required skills, but there are tips on their website plus people profiles to show you you know really help you understand what they do on a day-to-day basis um, other skills that one of the panelists pointed out are useful in these roles Are you know be analytically minded have problem solving abilities confidence and enjoy working in a team another thing I that was pointed out I thought was really interesting is you know try and show you've got willingness to take on responsibility early because being in a, a smaller department she said from the, you know, the minute go she had you know responsibility so I'd imagine a keenness to show that would be useful as well thanks Ali
0: So, after a few weeks' hiatus, busy launching a new Men's Weekly, Bauer's creative director Julian Linley is back with some advice for Omavac, who's struggling to land the right role in publishing.
3: So it's been an exciting week uh, for me this week because uh, Bauer Media, we've launched a new title this week called Gazetta. It's a new men's uh, magazine that we're piloting. And it kind of fits well because... One of the questions that I'm going to talk about today is from a reader who has found it incredibly difficult to break into publishing. Her problem is that she has been, uh, she's got so much experience that she's overqualified for the really junior roles, but hasn't worked anywhere full time, so therefore is finding it hard to be taken seriously for full time roles as well. I think this is a problem that is probably affecting an awful lot of. Uh, Graduates and um, junior members of staff at the moment because the industry hasn't moved for a really long time. Everything's become very stagnant, so no jobs have become available because who would give up a job in a recession? But the reality is, you know, we are hopefully at the start of things growing again in media, but we, you know, who knows? I haven't got a crystal ball and I can't predict that. So my advice would be to hang in there because hopefully jobs will become available in the next sort of uh, couple of years. But at the same time, you have to be realistic and think, well, there are, what, thousands and thousands of people graduating every year from media courses. It's one of the most oversubscribed um, university courses that uh, there is. And the competition is fierce. And because the competition is so fierce, publishers really get to take their pick about who they want to employ. And uh, you've I suppose just got to bear in mind that you are going to be competing against people who have got jobs, who have been working for some time and so therefore try and find a new angle for yourself really. At the moment I'd say you should take any role that's going to move you in the right direction. I would just be really clear in my covering letter that you want the opportunity, you know that what it is that you want to get into this business, into that magazine, you're prepared to do anything. And you want, you know, and point out to uh, your employer that you will be working really efficiently, that you'll be giving them more than what they're asking for, but you're very prepared and you absolutely acknowledge it's a lower role. I face this dilemma all the time as an employer um, where I'm looking at CVs for people to do all sorts of different jobs. So when I'm looking through CVs, I am just, I'm looking for that engagement and understanding with whatever product it is I'm working with. So, for example, on the new men's project I've been working on at Bauer, um, I have just been looking for people who are, who are telling me something that I've not heard before about the men's market, who are giving me insights, who are giving me ideas and exciting me, I suppose, about this new area. And really, you know, I would overlook the fact that someone was overqualified Uh, And there might be other things that, you know, we could offer them as well. Because the other thing to remember is that as uh, publishers, employers in a, you know, very challenging time, we have had our staffs cut, our budgets cut, and we need to churn out twice as much as we used to do before. So therefore, we need people that really know what they're doing. So having someone who's overqualified isn't quite the problem it used to be. So to sum up, I would say keep the faith. I know it's a very frustrating thing to hear. I would continue to apply for those jobs, but I'd be very, very clear in the covering letter that you are enthusiastic and you're ambitious and that the position and the salary are not uh, perhaps as important as you might think they are.
0: That was Julian Lindley. So, reverse job-seeking – otherwise known as the art of getting employers to come to you. We understand that some of you might be a little bit sceptical of this idea, especially those who've spent months firing off gushing applications carefully designed to woo recruiters, but have seen little love or job offers from employers in return. But bear with me, this reverse job-seeking lark is certainly on the up. Remember Employ Kyle, the lovely Kyle Clark, who created a website and invited employers to make him a job offer? Well, his plan paid off and he's currently having to side between several offers that came his way, including one based in New York. Amazing. And let's not forget graphic designer Tristan Rosen, who offered a year's worth of himself up on eBay. For graphic design, I should just clarify. Now, Andrew Horner is the latest grad who's given up on asking employers to hire him because he feels it doesn't work. And according to this week's guest, Andrew could be onto something. Former headhunter, Alex Strang, director at Think Resourceful, the talent mapping research and resourcing specialist, joins us now to talk about the techniques employers are using to find top talent and what you can do to put yourself on their radar. Hello, Alex. Hello. Thank you for coming in. My pleasure. Um, Can we start off and can you tell us what headhunting is and how it works, sort of like a dummy's guide to headhunting?
4: Sure. A headhunt calls an unsolicited approach about a prospective new position. It's not something that the the prospective candidate has instigated. It's an approach either by a third-party recruiter or or headhunter or directly from a a, a potential new employer.
0: Okay. So, And how does it work? Can you get into the nitty-gritty about how people are headhunted?
4: Well, from a recipient's perspective, it really comes out of the blue. You could be sitting at your desk uh, and get a a phone call from a name that you don't recognise and it could be, hello, my name is Brian White. I'm calling on behalf of Search Consultancy X and I'm keen to speak to you about a new position. I'm representing a business in the professional services sector that's aware of your reputation, and I wonder if there's a good time when we could speak. Now, nine times out of ten, the search consultant will understand that it's difficult to talk in the office. Everywhere's open plan these days, uh, so they will fairly regularly, in fact, I suspect every time, ask for a mobile phone number, which in itself can be quite embarrassing (laughs) for the recipient because it's not often that you're sitting at your desk and giving out your phone number. Well, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs)
0: All the time, yeah. Okay, so, and, you know... Why is it used, would you say? What do, why is, is headhunting better than people just applying?
4: Well, it's a competitive marketplace out there. Businesses always want to get the best people. If you look at the best businesses out there, the one thing they've got in common is strong management team. strong management team uh, will look to get the best people they possibly can. Um, I have a number of clients have a general rule of thumb that they won't make a hire unless they believe that person's better than they are. And in terms of succession, it's all about who's going to be the next superstar. Every employer wants to get that superstar, and if that's you on the end of the phone, then that's that's great news.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't mind one of those calls. Well, <laughs> love my job, don't want one <laughs> it. Um, we were talking about headhunting. It just, it seems like quite an '80s sort of practice, you know, sort of power suit. Yeah, I've got headhunted. I mean, is it still used a lot now?
4: Um, well, first of all, there's nothing wrong with the '80s. Gordon Gecko's no, back. Know. It's back, you know. Um, i say that. Yeah, but
0: agree.
4: I think the nature of headhunting has changed dramatically. And I think the nature of how people find employment has changed dramatically. I graduated 15 years ago, and the long and short was to get a job, it was all about the milk round and careers fairs. And if you look at the options now in terms of how people can get themselves in front of employers, it's it's really, really different. The way that people communicate has changed. Um, Six, seven years ago, we didn't have a Facebook or a YouTube or a LinkedIn. Um, And today, employers and search firms are utilising these tools to target top talent.
0: Um, we also associate headhunting with sort of exec-level top salary hires. Is, is, is it possible that graduates might get headhunted?
4: Well, first of all, I agree. Traditionally, headhunting has always, has always been about the six-figure salaries, C-level hires, uh, people at the top of the tree. Um, in terms of where the market sits now, it's much more likely that a graduate would get a direct approach on behalf of an employer. Um, my view is that the reason for that is employers are leveraging how people communicate these days, social networks, business networks etc. One of the most popular platforms for that uh, is a website like LinkedIn uh, where people are very easily searchable Um, and in particular if a corporate has uh, an in-house recruitment team whereby they'll have a team of people dedicated purely and simply to making approaches, making those hires and doing it direct as opposed to using a third party recruiter, then these people are... uh, these people are incentivized to make those direct hires as opposed to third-party par- third agencies. And one of the things that they will do is go out and search for the talent. So if you've got your profile, uh, a good professional pro- profile on a platform, or potentially you're in a Facebook group that an employer set up for recruits, then you really are putting yourself at the table to be approached. And my advice for someone in, in that sort of scenario is to make sure your, pro, your profile represents you well, not just in terms of what you've done, but the sort of things you're interested in, the sort of things that makes you a little bit different.
0: Okay, in, I want to ask you a bit more about what else you can do to sort of improve your chances of get, getting headhunted. But is it just sort of top grade getting, Russell Group going, sort of CEO to B graduates that are going to get headhunted or if you, it, are there things that you can do if you're not in that group? to improve your chances?
4: Well, not every employer wants to hire someone from the Russell Group. Um, and one of the beaut- one of the great things that the web's brought to the market um, is it's a great levelling field. Um, it's not just Coopers or Linklaters that are using these platforms to get access to talent. Uh, you can look at far smaller businesses. You can look at real niche areas of the market. Um, it's not difficult to go onto Facebook and search out for the type of employers that would be of interest to you. And you will be surprised at just the diversity of businesses on there. It's, it's very easy to set up a Facebook page and what you're doing by signing up to that page is putting your profile under the nose of potentially a, 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 your next employer.
0: So what should you have on your profile do you think that um, employers are gonna like?
4: I think there's a, uh, a, there's a clear difference between a, a straight social platform like Facebook uh, and more of a business platform like LinkedIn. Starting with LinkedIn, I think it's important that you've got the nature of work that you're interested in, any experience that you've, you've picked up. If, for example, you've done a, a sandwich placement, a sandwich placement on your profile is fantastic news. Um, you're showing that you've got some experience of, not just academic experience, but experience in the workplace, that you've added value, that you understand the concept of, of, of coming to an office every day. Um, in terms of your social networking uh, profile, there's a thousand and one different opinions on this, but my take is that, First and foremost, Facebook is a social platform, Um, but you do need to recognise that your profile is searchable and indexed by Google. So, for example, if if a prospective employer was going to do a search on your name, for example, um, if you've got a moderately, fairly sensible profile picture, then great. Um, But if you've got pictures of your last really, really late night out or the rugby weekend away (laughs) or someone's hen night or what have you, then that's it's probably the sort of talking point that I personally wouldn't want to have in my first interview.
0: Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, can you give us some examples of graduates who have put themselves in front of employers in a really clever way?
4: Um, the highest profile recent example, I believe it's someone, someone that you guys have spoken to already, is the, the, the chap that set up the Employ Kyle website. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's done fantastically well out it. I understand he's now picked up a number of offers and he's in the wonderful situation that he's in a position to choose who he works for, which is, I think that's what everyone aspires to when they go to university to get those letters. Um, In terms of other examples, I do think that the students that are putting themselves on that LinkedIn platform are potentially getting themselves an edge. Um, LinkedIn is far more popular demographically with the middle to senior management and If you look at their coverage of the 50k plus individuals, I anticipate LinkedIn will hit 100 million members worldwide by Christmas. Um, in the UK they've got great penetration at the, the the middle to senior manage, management. However, I've recently working with a, a, a software business, um, one of the developers there was most miffed to find out that one of the chaps that he was studying with at Edinburgh University had been approached by Google. Now, <laughs> For a developer, Google is the dream approach <laughs> yeah. and uh, the chap's viewpoint was, "Well, wait a minute, he's got the same qualifications as me, um, he's not done quite as much work as I've done. I've, 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 I've done a, a sandwich placement and the, the chap is a very, very strong candidate. However, what he didn't have was a LinkedIn profile and the in-house team at Google had done a search on LinkedIn, looked for specific skill sets and made some approaches. Uh, and that individual, as opposed to applying for a job from a job board or to direct to career sites, was in the wonderful situation where he's got an individual on the phone from Google saying, I wonder if you'd be interested in working for a company. Now, all of his Christmases must have come at once there. <laughs>
0: Definitely. Um, what about the role of blogging and getting employers to pay attention to you? Is that a good tool for catching their eye?
4: I think blogging is a great platform. Um, in terms of how Blogging can work well. We've already talked about employkyle.com, uh, the individual that set up a website. If you're not a developer, if you've, you, you don't have the skill set to build your own site, then setting up a blog on a free platform, for example, on Blogger or WordPress, is a it's a really easy way um, to show potential employers a little bit more about you. It's very search engine friendly. Uh, and in addition, what I would recommend doing is linking back to your blog from your, for example, from your LinkedIn profile. Now, if I, as a, uh, if I were an in-house recruiter and I was looking for someone that had uh, a graduate with some Java skills, if I found your profile on LinkedIn and saw that you had the, the guts of the skill set I was after and I saw a link to a blog, 99 times out of 100, even 100 times out of 100, I would click on your blog just to find out a little bit more. And if I were to see that there were links on your blog to some work that you'd completed, or a little bit more about you as an individual or the sort of things that interest you or if you had a gap year or if you'd done some travelling and I could get a read of your personality and also your skill set, that would encourage me more to make contact with you. So I really do think if you are embarking on the route of promoting yourself online and this concept of reverse job seeking, then consider adding a blog to the armoury.
1: I just was wondering whether you can give us some kind of inside tips. So as a headhunter, what are the kind of first things that you're doing when somebody comes to you and says, I need to find X for this role. So what are the first things that you go and do and how can people put themselves in your eye line?
4: One of the first things I'd do in that sort of scenario uh, is to look at where the talent for that type of position is likely to be, where where they're likely to be working, the sort of backgrounds that they've got. Um, We'd employ a technique uh, I refer to as talent mapping. So, for example, if you were looking for someone that had a specific skill set, then I wouldn't just look for... Individuals or or, or 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 people on profiles that have got these skill sets, and also look for where they'd be most likely to work, and then map out those businesses um, and make approaches from there. Okay,
0: um, can you tell us a bit more about talent mapping? Just go into the details about how you do it and why, you know, what you're asked to do from employers. Yeah, what's the process there? What's
4: the process? Well, let's look at a fairly recent example. We completed an assignment recently for a large retailer. Uh, who were looking to find a senior member of their team within design. Now, within d- design is a very, very competitive marketplace. It's also a, a tight market in terms of the people that, that, that have got a strong track records in these jobs. These people are also the sort of individuals that the current employers are very keen to keep a hold of. So they're not generally the sort of people that will want to, that are likely to be applying for jobs. They're not likely to be the sort of people that are sitting on CV databases. Um, once we're able to find out the specific target market, we can relatively quickly find out who these people are and map that market on behalf of our clients.
0: Which sectors are you most likely to get talent mapped or headhunted in? And which sectors are you least likely to get hun- headhunted in?
4: I think that's a really difficult question to answer. Uh, I think in terms of the, the the volume of calls, if you look at... Um, the most competitive markets for talent, uh, a classic is the actuarial market, uh, there's a very, very strong demand for actuaries. And I do tend to see that from the most junior actuaries right up to the most senior ones, they consistently get phone calls uh, because of the, the the volume of demand for their skills. The person that's least likely to be head in my opinion, is someone that doesn't have any profile online, someone that's not promoting themselves in any way, shape or form, uh, and someone that's on the back foot in terms of looking for their next job, potentially not sure what they want to do, and adopting a, almost a spray and pray uh, approach to their job search. Um, I think the way it works best is if you're really targeted in terms of, A, what you apply for, and as much as we're talking about talent mapping and new ways employers and recruiters are, are, are getting in touch with people, let's not forget about the, the, the traditional routes to market. If people are advertising for a specific role that fits your skill set, then Make the application.
0: Okay. And finally, I just want to ask you, I mean, we're talking about reverse job hunting and we've seen more, you know, more activity coming through from people like Karl Clark that, you know, trying to attract attention to themselves. Do you think this is going to be increasingly prevalent in the job market and then lots more people are going to start doing this?
4: I, I really do feel that's going to be the case. Um, if you look at the US market, for example, the US market is arguably a little bit ahead of us in terms of how they look at sourcing individuals. Uh, corporates like Google and Microsoft have had sourcing teams for the best part of 10 years uh, that have been em- employing these sorts of techniques. I don't believe we're that far behind in the UK, but I think they, things like social media and business networking platforms are here to stay. Even if there's a, 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 a new platform emerges, then the, the concept and how people are interacting online isn't going to go away. Uh, and that just puts that gives people a great opportunity to promote themselves. Don't get me wrong, I don't think you have to be shouty and and shout and scream that you're looking for a new job or or, or what have you. But similarly, um, if you are promoting your skill set or the fact that you are on the lookout for a position, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with that potential employer seeing your name and your profile when they're carrying out a search.
0: Thanks very much, Alex. Time for the Jobs Top Ten now. This week's chart is packed with recruitment jobs for anyone who fancies swapping job-seeking for headhunting. Take it away, Harriet and Ali.
2: Kicking off the countdown at 10, it's a recruitment consultant in risk and securities for Tay Associates. Selby Jennings are looking for a graduate banking recruiter at 9. And at 8, Harvard Brown want a graduate headhunter in financial search. It's an IT recruitment consultant for drum and selection at 7. While 6 has new creative talent looking for a telephone sales team leader. Into the top 5 with media sales opportunity from Meet the Real Me. And at 4, it's a legal headhunter for graduate fast track.
1: 27 recruitments are looking for an internal recruiter at
2: three. Close but no cigar. At two, it's a junior finance recruiter from Venor Resourcing. But
1: this week's pick of the jobs at number one is a senior consultant with Murray McIntosh.
0: Last on the agenda, we have a few dates for your
2: diary. Right, first up, on November the 1st, we have Turning Your Seasonal Job Into CV Gold. The 2nd of November, we have Acing Your Interview. On the 3rd of November, it's Dealing With Stress at Work. And rounding up the week, on the 4th of November, is our journalism series, Breaking Into Music Journalism.
0: All that's left to say is thanks very much to our guest, Alex Strang, and to Harriet Minter and Ali White. Careers Talk was produced by James Crawford. I'm Kerry Eustace, and until next week, goodbye.